1: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, July 18th, and at this hour, it seems like there are two kinds of New Yorkers,
2: the ones who love creaky floors and pre-war charm, and those who prefer the shiny new buildings made of glass as far as the eye can see. What is your preference? We will take a poll. Also at this hour, finding a good broker in New York City is a lot like online dating. You peruse online profiles, pick the most attractive listings, and make plans to meet up. But is this a good fit? We will talk about that. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and I have the full panel for the full hour today. First, the news. Just 18 contracts were signed on homes asking $4 million and above last week, a drop that was likely caused by the 4th of July holiday. In the period between July 3rd and July 9th, the most expensive place to go under contract was Oak Tree Capital founder Howard Marks' unit on the 33rd floor. At 50 Central Park South, the home was last asking $27.5 million, a significant discount from its original price tag of $50 million five years ago. Marks and his wife Nancy paid $18.8 million for the 4,500-square-foot pad in 2007. Then they put the place on the market in 2012, and last July it was cut down from $39 million to $35 million. In December, it was reduced to $30 million. The number two contract signed was on six, at 16 East 82nd Street, a 25-foot-wide townhouse that was at last asking $12.3 million, down from $15 million it was asking in May of 2016. The home needs to be renovated, according to Olshan's report, and is currently divided in six separate units. In total, 12 of the contracts were on condominiums, with an average asking price of $7.2 million, Four contracts were on co-ops six point three million and two were on townhouses twelve point one million. The total weekly asking price sales volume was one hundred and thirty five point nine million dollars, the average asking price was seven point five million, and the average discount from original ask to last ask was twenty percent, and the average days on market was four hundred and fifty-five days. Gray Gardens, the classic East Hampton estate that famously fell into heart-wrenching ruin when it was inhabited by Jackie Kennedy Onassis's down-and-out aunt and cousin, the former socialites, Edith Beale and little Edith Beal is about to have a summer fling with American Express. Amex has rented the fabled uh, residence at 3 West End Road for an undisclosed sum from the owner, legendary Washington Post columnist Sally Quinn. The company will, u- will use it to hold seasonal events, and Amex confirmed the rental but declined to discuss the price or specific plans. It's not your typical strategy but then again it has tried been tried before. If at first or second or even third you don't succeed in selling your combined Chelsea condo at 7 million dollars then raise the price to 7.25 million dollars. Variety reported that celebrity chef Bobby Flay has made that move with his duplex in the Chelsea Mercantile Building at 252 7th Avenue, the 3200 3200- 3,200 square foot unit, which is a combined combination of two units he bought in 2000 and 2005 for 850 and $1.5 million respectively, has been on the market since 2016 when the list price was $6.995 million. The listing came as Flay and his ex-wife divorced and was eventually put up for lease at 22.5 per month. Now, the three-bedroom, three-bathroom unit is back up for sale with a slightly higher list price. The luxury condo is sprawling and features plenty of room to live and play and work, especially in the uh, professional kitchen located near Bobby Flay's home office. Isn't that something? Raise the price and maybe you'll get a buyer. What do you say? That's a real strategy. It has worked before. I, I did yeah. it, I think, once or twice in my in my career. Not at those numbers, but you know, in the the sixes or seven hundred thousands years back, and it actually did work. Did they bring anything
3: differently to the place before they put it on a higher price? Because that, that's also a strategy where you you do something to it and you say we did X, which really is not usually justified. A difference in I price, think yeah. I think
2: basically what they did was they rented it for for probably six months or a year at twenty two thousand dollars mm. per month and maybe that was attractive to you know the the buyers out there who said well if I spend this kind of money mm. I, look at the return I can get I don't know I, I don't think they did anything specific mm. by way of renovating or, or updating but it is beautiful we all know that building it's it's magnificent but this this apartment at 3200 square feet must be really sprawling I've seen pictures it looks great.
4: Hopefully, they gave it a facelift when the tenant moved out.
2: Well, hopefully, they <laughs> did. Anyway, we're here with Matt Cohen from Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, Phil Horrigan from leasebreak.com, and Ryan Garson from Halstead Property. Welcome, Ryan. Welcome. Um, so, before we get into to what we prepare to talk about this week, I want to, you know, today is July 18th, and it's the, the official start of the Street Easy um, uh, rental charging brokers $3 per day. And I wanted to get everybody's opinion you know, on where we are with that. I mean, it's still very controversial. Uh, people mm-hmm. are still complaining about it. Brokers are still complaining about it. But today is the actual start date of that situation. So, Phil, let's start with you. You you, yeah, do so, a lot of this.
3: Yeah, so just to remind everyone why this made me upset and I think all the other real estate agents <laughs> upset is because there was an inherent promise that StreetEasy has made to the agents in the community that the postings on the site would be free, and that was part of how they became StreetEasy. That's part of how they took all the listings in. So to all of a sudden flip that switch just at the point where they know they have ultimate sort of, quote-unquote, market power is unreal to me. you know. And it is, and I've, I've described it before, as like a sucker punch to real estate agents, and that's really how I feel about it. And so this is today. And so I think that the entire community is now looking for other alternatives to post their listings and to search because clearly this company can't be trusted that's the sense that I think the real estate agents have
2: what what is what are the alternatives i mean where else can brokers go to protect their listings, post their listings, and get the consumer out there. See, one of the, the, the concerns you know that um, uh, that we all have is that StreetEasy has been threatening to take down the existing listings as of today or as of last night if you didn't start paying or, or giving them your credit card so they can start charging you $3 per listing per day. So what are the alternatives? Well, let me where just where, where, say, where so, are people
3: going? So Rebni, and everyone should hear this, and I, I'm trying to let the whole world know, and I'm trying to help Rebni and the real estate agent community is Revenue is going to start giving out their feed for all the listings. And, you know, it's been a long time. There's been, there's been such a history to how you get the listings. Right now, StreetEasy basically has individual agreements with all these companies. Revenue finally is getting their act together. And starting August 1st, they're going to be the ones that have the entire feed. So now if you're a company like leasebreak.com or some other companies out there, you could take this feed and you could have – all of the broker's listings on your site. You don't have to go to Street Easy anymore. And so that is what uh, that is what they're gonna be doing. So, yes, there's gonna be, Vince, I'm telling you, I I, pr- I make a promise right here that this this is going to change the industry. Street is not gonna be the go-to place anymore. Okay. Yes, they will be for the next maybe few months, maybe even a year, because it takes a while. But you can't treat New York City real estate agents this way. And I'm telling you, the community is going to change. Leasebreak.com. We're going to have an announcement in a few weeks. We're going to be doing something different. We're going to have a more comprehensive website. Um, we also have a Twitter feed, at Dump Check it out. We're talking about this a lot. So please go there and retweet and share and all I that kind of stuff. I actually
5: had a conversation with a Zillow sales rep on Friday afternoon. And uh, he was calling me about something else, but I brought up the street easy thing. And, you know, his defense was that they're trying to get rid of scammers, trying to get rid of fake listings, complacent brokers. And I said, you know, what about a good guy discount then? If that's all you're really after, why not uh, reward the people who are doing legitimate business on the website? He said, well, maybe that'll be the case, you know. And then, you know, I started pressing him a little bit and he didn't really seem um, very confident in the pricing. He didn't really seem very confident in the length of the program. Um, so I think there's some trepidation on Street Easy's part. And I think, you know, if you push hard enough, I think they're going to fold. But, um, you know, I, I, think they're, I think they're hurting themselves. Their best friend in this marketplace was complacency. It was agreed by some of the brokerages, um, not willing to share listings. And, you know, they're just going to find out the hard way how competitive New York real estate really is because they really have no competitors um, uh, until now. And I think people are motivated to compete with them. My uh, only concern is that, you know...
2: Well, I agree. I think they're going to implode at some point. But my only concern, and I think we talked about this last week, is the consumer. The consumer is so married
5: to that site. Everybody looks at StreetEasy uh, yeah, for if you're rental. $1,500 listing, you're, you're right, out of luck. Exactly. Okay. $1,500 so, listing, you're done. And honestly, Craigslist you. is kind of more costly in some ways. But right. Yeah. I mean like the the little guy, the little consumer, the people who can barely afford to live
3: in the marketplace
5: already, are gonna get hurt. It's three dollars a
3: listing no matter what the price of the apartment is. So obviously the brokers that have the ten thousand dollar a month listings will be paying for that no problem. But the brokers that have the fifteen hundred dollar, two thousand dollar, twenty five hundred dollar listings, it's gonna be a lot harder to justify paying a hundred dollars a month is what it comes out to roughly to advertise these apartments. So the consumer will be hurt in the end. You know, the listings, I re- I'm already looking at them. So the last day, 4,000 rentals have come off the site already on StreetEasy. So it's already happening. Um, and will Some we'll see. brokers
2: are just not going to pay. And some companies are saying that they're going to help pay the through the marketing budgets. You know, our, our company at Halstead going to pay through the marketing budgets. But, you know, some, some brokers are just not wanting to do it. And the, my only last concern with the consumer is for us as agents who have advertised on StreetEasy through, you know, our our system feeds, you know, uh, the consumer is so married to that site for sales and for rentals. And so if we try and and direct them to other sites, I don't know how fast that's going to be. I don't know how quickly that's going to happen. So they're going to stay with StreetEasy for the long, Mm -hmm. for the long term, I think the short term and the long term. And even if there are diminished listings, wherever we place our listings may not get to the consumer and
3: that's that's really where my totally concern agree. is I totally agree like the consumer will go where the best product is and if StreetEasy continues to, to know be about it, right though. if StreetEasy continues to be the best product they'll st- they'll stay there and so it's like say my job as someone that has a portal that could poten- yeah. potentially compete is to make a product that is worthy of people switching from StreetEasy to LeaseBreak or another name if we go with that I feel like StreetEasy is kind of
6: being disloyal to the consumer with the premier program and now charging for the rentals. And, you know, especially on the lower end market, a lot of these, these brokers are not going to want to advertise the, um, their listing. Um, and it's just as, as a, a listing broker who does a lot of rentals, the rental deal is very, very complicated because, you know, majority of the time the tenant pays the fee. So it's not a set fee; it's always being negotiated. Um, it's just it's a really tough sale. It's not straightforward there. And now the fact that Streeteasy is making it more complicated for for everyone, for the broker, for the consumer. Um, I think that the market is definitely changing, and the fact that Streeteasy owns Zillow um, and a few other of the dominant um, portals. You know, I really feel like the market is kind of in disarray and i think somebody needs to step up and and be the main well, I player. I think we're
5: going to find out exactly what happens today It's going to be a very dynamic shift like you were saying. Phil. i mean, you know, i think i think the, probably 60% of the listings are going to drop off the site within the next like
3: 48 hours. Right. Although you know, if you're street easy and that's going to happen, you're just going to you're going to keep them on there. You're just not going to, I don't think you're going to allow 60%. So you you're going to probably be like, "Oh, s h, you know, and yeah, you're going to say and yeah, yeah. they're going to have to So we'll see what happens. One question i have if you guys don't mind, i'm kind of curious what your policies are or what sort of what you're doing, you know, in your business. If you guys have rentals, are you paying it? Are you not paying it? Are you keeping are you deciding? I, I, case my policies by
5: case? my policy is the same since I started in real estate. I always do what's best for my client. Um what's the best thing for my client is to pay for street easy right now. So. Right. What about you guys?
2: We're doing we're doing the same thing, but like I said, our company we've given our credit card, but our company and we will be charged, but then at the end of the day, we'll take it back from our, our marketing budgets. So that's what Halstead is doing right. uh, at the moment. But I agree with what Sean just said. I mean, these are our clients, and we have to do the right thing for our clients. And you cannot mm-hmm. advertise their listing because StreetEasy is doing something and stupid. And guess at the
3: moment. who knew that knows that StreetEasy. And that's and that's the game they're playing. There's there's
5: companies cutting against them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know Compass. They refuse to pay it. They're saying, you know, we should pull our listings off their site. That's their recommendation. Right. Um, They want us to double down on compass.com, but you know, Mm, let's let's beat opportunity. Oh, you for know, sure. No, a, a huge opportunity. I mean, amazing huge. opportunity. Chaos breeds opportunity. Yeah. But, That's how I feel, um, too. Yeah, but I mean, it's uh, not this week. Sorry. Yeah,
2: totally. <laughs> All right, we, have to le- we have to yeah. leave it there. We're live from Blast Talk Productions in New York City. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away.
1: Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
7: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become
0: a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
1: Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back here with the panel. Matthew Cohen, Core Real
2: Estate, Phil Horrigan, LeaseBreak.com. Uh, Sean McPeak, Compass, and Ryan Garson joining us today from Halstead Property. So moving on, your broker has put in an offer on an apartment you really want to purchase and you're waiting to hear back. Ideally, you would prefer that the listing broker directly engages your broker in a one-on-one conversation to begin negotiations. However, this isn't always the case. When competition for a specific condo or co-op is high, the listing broker may not counter your offer. Rather, the listing broker may stay silent for a few <laughs> days and then inform your broker that they've received numerous offers and they would like for you to submit your best and final. Being asked to submit a best and final offer can be tricky because on the one hand, you might really want the apartment, but on the other hand, you don't necessarily want to overpay. Finding the balance can be challenging, and if you've been on the losing end of a bidding war several times, this may completely change your strategy going forward. It's a mind game most of the time for buyers uh, as they're out there. What are some of the tips to help your buyers get through this process because as we all know as agents representing buyers even sellers uh, again as i said this could be a mind game and there are there are, there are some tips that you can you know you can give to your buyers to completely help them to completely understand the process and in some cases
4: understand how best to win the deal this is all about winning I think it's all about managing expectations. I mean, if you can just include your clients as much as possible in the process, because you are almost the middleman. You're the middleman trying to make it all happen. Um, But I find that when clients are left in the dark is when issues arise or when they get upset. So I think if you could just be honest with them as much as possible. But also, one of the reasons I always say two of the biggest things I try and do in the agent community is to not only be, you know, good and efficient at what I'm doing, but also become very close with a lot of the brokers that I respect because those are the ones you're gonna run into a lot. And in situations when there is a lot of competition, and it's a hot, you know, product. It's a hot apartment. Um, having that relationship with the listing broker is going to go miles. It's going to help a lot. And you know, my clients always know that. I mean, there there's a huge, I guess, positive to when I would say eighty percent of the time when my clients are going to look at apartments. I'm like, oh, I know the listing broker. Or like, I'm friendly with them, and let me just you know help this out, even just to start. It's in, a huge help.
3: In uh, in terms of making sure the buyer doesn't overpay, uh, I guess there's two things, but the first thing is most important. I always say to the buyer, okay, if you really want this property, you have to think about what's the most amount you're going to pay without crying <laughs> and what's the <clears> least amount where you know you put this in and if you don't get it, you won't also be really upset. you know." And, and I always ask them, literally take out a piece of paper or on the computer and go up in $5,000 increments and think about, each number and think about what the monthly costs are and how does that make you feel? And can you live with yourself if you got it for that price? Um, and the other thing I want to mention is that I, I was always really, I, I think it's really important as a buyer's agent, you try to get as much information as possible in these bidding war situations. Your job is to get as much information so you could lead the client and help them, help your buyer figure out what the price is. So obviously, if you just say, So what are the offers on the table? the seller agent's not going to answer that. But if you say, how many offers, they may answer that. They may answer, how many offers are cash? They may answer that. How many offers are over asking price? They may answer that. So there's just ways you could ask the question to get. Now, sometimes they'll be so tight-lipped, and I've had some uh, some listing agents that are really, really tight-lipped, and then you could say, well, what are we talking about? You know, five offers, six, you know, you just you give, throw a number out, and they may say yes or no to that. So there's always a way to try to get some information. Your job is to get as much information as you can from that Uh, from that listing agent.
6: I, th- I think uh, also what Phil was saying, I mean, I I agree with everything that, that he said, but it's kind of like a game of poker. Like, you really have to feel out the the listing agent. Like, when you're asking these questions, you know, they might not give you the answer, but you can tell by reactions, and I think that's really important. Yeah, too. I agree with that.
2: You know, it's funny. I had a very popular open house over the weekend for a property that's a million fifty, a, a one-bedroom, and um, one of the agents was there. We must have had 20 people in the apartment at one time, and the agent asked me, his buyer was looking around so... Um, Uh, you have any offers?" I said, well, actually we have several, Uh, or we've had several, and he's like, oh, okay, so I'm sure many of them are over the asking price, so do you think that we need to come in over asking price if my buyer really wants this? And I looked at him and I was very honest and I said, I didn't tell you any of them were over asking price, I didn't tell you anything, I just said we have lots of offers. And what I meant to tell him, and I explained to him later, is that we've had offers over the past week, they're just not where my seller wants it to be. And we have decided not to call for best and final, Uh, For a whole host of reasons, Um, but maybe this week that happens. So let's see where this guy comes in. But you know, it's a poker game. It's a whole bunch of things. But you know, if you do the right thing by your buyer and give them as much information, uh, arm them with as much information as you have, uh, it makes them feel better if they win. Or certainly, yeah, they lose. I
5: agree. Just you have to empower the buyer, and you know, I always communicate to them that I want them to be the expert in real estate. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to have an educated discussion yeah. about whatever property you're going to buy. Because if you're paying for it, you need to be an expert in that part of the market.
3: Absolutely. A great tactic too is sometimes there's a fear that and the buyers feel like this and the brokers feel like this too, the buyer's agents that maybe they're just saying there's many offers and there really aren't many offers. Correct. And maybe they're just saying there's a bidding war but there really isn't. Correct. So one thing as a buyer's agent that I always do to test this out is I always say to the listing agent, listen, are you sure you want to get my buyer involved in the bidding war? Because the minute I say there's other offers, they may just go away. And if I you say that, it's like a poker game, the The listing agent may say, if, if it's not true, oh, well, you know, no, well, you know, just, um, no, look, put in your best number, right? you know, and you can get a sense that yeah. maybe they were bluffing a little bit. You want to make sure they well, that's know Ryan said, you that know. you may walk away, if you may scare your buyer away if you say, you know, so you want to be very, and if the listing agent says, Go ahead. Yeah, no. You should tell them there's a bidding war. There's a I, lot of
2: offers. I can tell just by the inflection in someone's voice on the other end of the phone mm-hmm. if I'm not face-to-face with that broker in a bidding situation, and I can just tell sometimes by the tone, the inflection, that this guy is full of baloney or yeah. he's trying to get me to do something with my buyer that really we shouldn't be doing. Right. I mean, I've seen so many things like that. Anyway, I,
4: I also believe in getting a paper trail. I mean, if you really want to test them out, I I would say from experience, you know, most of the brokers we do business with probably and hopefully have, like myself, we have people working under us. Mm -hmm. So if there's someone in an open house and they're saying one thing, I will always email the broker that they're working for who I know and say, so my client's really interested. Heard you have a bunch of offers. Give me the current situation. And if they're hesitant or if they call me, I know that something's up. 100%. Right, 100%. Moving on, month-to-month tenancy. So we
2: talk about purchase, now I'm going to talk about rentals. If a landlord currently has a tenant in place that held over after the expiration of his lease term... Can he expect monthly rent payments from the tenant in the same amount the tenant was paying prior to the lease's expiration? Are the parties bound to a full new year lease term by virtue of the landlord accepting continued rent payments? And this is a big to do sometimes with renters out there, even with landlords out there. So is it an automatic renewal of your full term lease just because the landlord is expecting or accepting rather month to month rental payments after your lease expires? One year lease. Done. You decide to stay a month or two, whatever. He's okay with it. What's the deal?
5: Typically, you know, I know my my previous lease. I outlined, you know, I'll give you thirty days' notice before I leave. I mean,
3: that's that's basically month-to-month lease. Yeah, and I think I think again, I'm not a lawyer. No one here is a lawyer, and this is not legal advice. But from my understanding of real estate, it seems like you're correct that if you pay after the lease is up and you pay another month, there's an implied sort of contract between the two parties that you have to give each other 30 days notice. So the tenant would have to give you 30 days notice if they're leaving and the landlord would have to give you 30, 30 days notice. So no, the full year lease does not get renewed, but you're in sort of a month to month situation.
2: That, that, that's basically the that's crux of it. Idea. So it, the, the, the the answer is no, the parties are not bound to a full new lease term. Um, simply by virtue of the landlord accepting continued rent payments on a month-to-month tenancy uh, created by default. So it doesn't turn into a full new brand new lease. It's just an accepted month-to-month if the landlord is agreeing and, and if the tenant is right. agreeing. And as a
5: tenant, you should specify that. You should just make sure, you know, what I would say is just 30, I'll give you 30 days notice. Um, they either agree to it or they don't. But either way, you're not really bound to a one-year lease. Uh Correct. And and oftentimes, you
2: know, this comes up and people are like, well, you know, am I he says, yes, I can stay until I find something else. It's a month, two or three. And we've all been in that situation.
3: Yeah, and if you're the landlord, by the way, you shouldn't want that situation. Like you don't no. want a tenant to have to just leave. It may take no. you more than a month to find someone and you don't want the tenant to leave in the middle of the winter. Correct. All right. I'm, I'm actually
6: just I'm Go doing ahead. a deal right now. That's kind of interesting. I'm representing the renter and it's a lease break. And the you get it from our site. I, of course, always. From leasebreak.com? Leastbreak got, got my business go. started, this guy. I love Phil. He's a, <laughs> he's a good guy. But anyways, the, the tenant um, is supposed to move out, but he actually hasn't found a um, a new apartment. So he, the my renter signed a lease, and we're kind of waiting for the new tenant to find a place. He wouldn't sign the surrender, and we're kind of in limbo right now. So it's like if you don't have everything, like without the surrender, uh, you can't really... We can't like he doesn't want to go to court to to be pushed out, so everything's in kind of limbo right now. So you never really know until you until, know, you know. Have, until you know.
2: until you know. And before we go to break,
6: let's say let's uh, talk about this. It
2: seems like there are two kinds of New Yorkers the ones who love creaky floors and pre war charm, and those who prefer shiny new buildings made of glass for as far as your eye can see. What is your preference? Brick Underground did a survey, and the results are what?
4: What do you think? Um, wow.
2: I guess I'm going to guess
3: pre-war. I would probably say like
4: cut in the middle. I mean, I think, I think a lot of, so you mean New Yorkers themselves? New Yorkers. I I would say the majority, that's a hard one because I don't think the majority of New Yorkers are true New Yorkers anymore. I think that you have so much, so many foreign people living here and they really like the new... Glass towers, but I would always say classic New Yorkers are always into the pre-war creaky floors. I think one, one. I would Uh, say,
3: I'd say they're more drawn to the to the glass. Yeah, I I say glass too. Well, I would say the only thing I would say is I have a problem with the question because it mentions creaky floors. You you could have pre-war without creaky. Like I've had, like I don't want the creak. I want the pre-war without the creek. And I mean, you do, you like, can, it. can
4: we do like a middle ground? Yeah. I, I, I,
2: I have pre-war and I don't have any creeks. There in my you go. So, but yeah, but yeah. it's they, <laughs> just kind of underscore the, the oldness <laughs> and the charm of the older buildings and the wooden um,
4: floors. Well, and, wait, uh, I mean, let's put it this way. So I, last week I showed my client two penthouses on the Upper West Side. One was the really cool Joe DiMaggio West End pre-war kind of thing. Um, and then the other one was the new Naftali building on 77th. And so, she and her husband, who are not from here, and they're from outside of Nashville, really liked the Joe DiMaggio pre-war. Okay. We, we have to we have to go to break, but the
2: verdict is, brand new glass wins out over pre-war here in New York City. Creek, they mentioned Look, Creek, and you question. are listening creek, to Good Morning yeah. New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will, we will be right back. Don't go away.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or Blackberry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
1: American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco If you want to call into the program we're toll free in North America at 1-866-472-5788 That's 1-866-472-5788 Now, back to the show All right, everybody, we are back. And so if you are buying your first apartment or actually
2: any apartment, second, third apartment, what sort of disclosures should you make sure the seller and the seller's attorney puts in your contract? I mean, you know, purchase contracts are pretty, you know, uh, vanilla. But, you know, when it comes to putting certain things in contracts, riders in contracts, what are some of the disclosures that need to be put in the, the contract to protect the buyer? Actually, in some cases,
5: protect the seller. I mean, newest one I guess would be bed bugs. Um that's that's been a major issue and um you know less less technical I guess
4: is um amount of times you can visit the apartment before closing that always comes up in my deals. Like once we're already in contract and you know we'll they'll go back with their decorator and they'll go back with their painter and then it, We try again, we realize, oh, it's three times in the contract. And I I mean, I had somebody just recently ask me if they can
2: come and spend the entire day. Her quote was the entire day. (laughs) in the apartment because I'm going to have people coming and going, you know, the decorator, the designer, the closet person, the cabinet maker. And I'm like,
5: no way. No. You can't. You can't. It's too much of a liability.
4: And also, I mean, one hundred th- probably the biggest thing in a contract that I've found that is the most um, beneficial for the seller and not for the buyer, and I'm truly experiencing it right now buying my place, um, is the 30 days around the closing date? I just think that's, it, it sucks for the buyer because oh. the seller kind of he really decides that. He
3: really has the control. You mean the there. on or about date, how you could kind of go 30 days beyond the exactly. on or about date. Because it's,
4: it's usually pretty standard language. And yeah. I mean, the seller can push as long as they want, technically. And, you you know, for for example, like me right now, I'm buying a sponsor unit and he needs to, you know, he's basically deciding, and I don't know when to ship things to the apartment for my closing and whatnot. So, no let's
2: let, let's let's talk about the actual apartment itself. So, what about the condition of the apartment? You know, all of the, the tech terms are great, but what about the actual condition of the the apartment? And how can you protect yourself as a buyer? You know. Uh, with a clause in the contract. Well, for, for for example, quality of life, okay? To ensure that the seller isn't ditching an unlivable apartment and leaving you holding the bag, uh, attorneys suggest a clause in the contract confirming that in the past year, the seller or someone representing the seller hasn't made any complaints to the managing agent about noise, odors, offensive conduct, heat, water problems, you know, et cetera. So how many buyers actually really think about this when they're negotiating with their attorney over the terms or the language of their contract. How many people really they, think they about really that?
3: They really don't. But good attorneys have like a standard separate writer that has clauses like that in there. I'm always impressed when I see that one because I think it is does kind of it does sort of get out sometimes information that you wouldn't be able to get out another way because the truth is that's going to be hard to really follow I up on. I mean, it on. wouldn't
5: it, the, the these are things that would not be in the in the board minutes, correct? Well, if it's a co-op, they would be if it they depends.
2: were major complaints to the managing agent about, yeah. say, for example, noisy neighbors or odors in the hallway, you know,
3: mice, whatever, that kind
2: of stuff would be in the board minutes. God, the I don't know about a condo, but certainly in a, in a co-op.
3: The way it's currently written, the way you read it, you didn't say in writing. I know sometimes attorneys write in writing. Correct. You can make a complaint to your neighbor about something going on upstairs, and the way that's written, that would actually count. But um, but still, it, it, it's more put in the contract sometimes just mm-hmm. to kind of get... Get out any issues, you know. Like when the buyer, or sorry, when the when the seller reads that, they're like, uh, "Yeah, I should probably tell them about this," you know. And that's mm-hmm. the- uh, I'd
5: also, I'd also, um, <clears throat> you know, kind of warn against maybe putting too many of these little clauses in a contract, especially, like we were talking about before, with the bidding war. Um, you know, just being a more low maintenance buyer might <laughs> be to your advantage, especially mm-hmm. if you're financing during a bidding war. Um, just blame it on the attorney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blame it on an attorney. I mean, but also we know that attorneys can blow some deals, and oh, yeah. you know, for, and we know what's you know what's right for the client is to get the apartment, and you know, every apartment has issues. You know, it's, at the end of
4: the day. No, Sean brings up a really good point because the last apartment I sold in Tribeca, the we had a, a bunch of offers, and we had competition, and we had a contract out with um, the offer we accepted. And, you know, standard language, like Phil was saying, in terms of the noise next door. And my cellar one is very nice. and I wanted to be very upfront about the fact that the neighbors had kids playing basketball oh, against the wall. Man, wow. Like, wow. disclosed it before contract signing. And and I, I'm sitting here like, Jesus, are you kidding me? I grew up and in the suburbs. We used to
2: throw the baseball up against, you know, the softball up against the wall all the time. Exactly. I and mean, that's what I we did. Go. Street but kit. That's but what we here's did. the
4: thing. It separates the buyer like the real buyers because the buyer initially actually pulled out because of it he was nervous what? and then we just went to the second buyer and they were like this is city living like you you're living right. on top of each other and that's plus normal. if
3: i was a buyer i would be like wow that's so honest that maybe now i could trust everything else like right, if, if exactly. they're going to tell tell me this then you know, so I, I think there's a. Strategy. I would have I would have clamped down on that cellar I would say no, nope, less is more, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Those kids
5: will go to college someday.
2: There you have it. So, but what what about what about what actually comes with the apartment? How many times have we gone to the closing table and fights break out because? Someone decided to take a chandelier that was supposed to stay in the apartment but for some reason was dismantled by the movers and now it's gone or the you know vice versa what actually stays in the apartment how many times on broker deal sheets when I was managing agents I used my hair used to want to
5: fall out Deal it's, sheets so the incomplete. Yeah, that's I right. mean anything that's they bolted in the wall technically is belongs to the uh, the buyer right. unless uh, otherwise specified by their attorney in the contract, and that's another reason why brokers are so important because the attorneys don't step foot in the apartment typically. Right. So we need to be make a pretty thorough list of what stays and what goes. Yeah, and like for example, flat but
3: screen that needs TVs. to be, but
2: that needs to be discussed. You know, by all parties as the deal sheet's being put together and as it goes to contract. So. All these oh, inclusions or exclusions
5: it. go right in the
2: contract. No mistakes.
5: I mean, uh, it's, I, it's, I had an apartment we were negotiating on 66th Street on the East Side Co-op. Um, you know, which building? 201, uh, 1, and okay. So uh, the <laughs> oh. the show sheet said, uh, you know, uh, X, you know, lighting fixtures and also speakers and sound system. Right, were were big selling points of the apartment. The uh, owner. Uh, decided that she was going to take uh, lighting fixtures because they were so expensive and custom, and uh, also the speakers. She wanted to take some of the speakers out of the walls. Um, so I told the broker, I said, "Listen, I'm looking at your show sheet right now. This is what's part of your for your sale here. You're getting a huge premium on on this co-op uh, because of these things. It's, you know, you, you, these are not exclusions. Um, so there was a lot of back and forth. Nearly blew the deal." Um, ultimately, we had to compromise, but um, she actually went back and changed a listing description online <laughs> uh, to take that stuff out after <laughs> gotta, I brought this gotta up.
2: Got to love it, right? That so uh, a little
5: amazing. tip for all you brokers <laughs> out there, hang on to that original show sheet and put it in your files because you never know when it will come in handy, and that's what's kind of saved us, I, This just but comes
4: down it. to communications, basically. Yeah, but okay. I think it, like, Sean brings up a good point. I mean, there is a lot of generality in deal sheets and descriptions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had issues where appliances should always be working and there were two not two close three closings ago there was a spark in one of the um uh on the burners? stove on one of the burners and it wasn't a spark like in terms of a fire but it was it was a clicking sound and the buyer made a really big deal about it and 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 she was like this shouldn't be clicking and at the closing table. Didn't even talk about it during the walkthrough. Uh, uh, me. Uh, I, just clo- yeah. I just closed on <laughs> I just
5: closed on a loft in Brooklyn, new development, and uh, we convinced the developer to keep the old kitchen in place. But even even then, with the old kitchen in place, we're going to gut it. Um, this still has to, all, Everything has to be in working order, so we still have to test all those appliances, hot water, whatever, even uh, though we're going to gut it. Absolutely. Uh, so one last one on this particular topic. What happens if the board rejects you?
2: Is there a clause that, that goes into the contract that talks specifically about a board
3: rejection? You mean getting your deposit back? Uh, anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The contract the standard contract says if you get a if the board rejects you, you get your deposit back. Although I think it does say depending on certain things, right? Like you have to represent yourself in an honest way. So I think there's some leeway there. Like if for some reason the buyer didn't represent themselves in an honest way and they get rejected on that basis. I'm not sure. I think then it becomes, right?
4: Yeah, there's also like there's like you said a well. your deposit your deposit be- is on the line too, right? Right. Well, if you sorry. get if you get rejected, your deposit gets back to you. Right. But it's it is I I remember last year I had my first rejection and there was language in the contract that actually said that you need to make your best effort before getting the deposit back. And I remember that was very interesting to me. And actually, we, we wound up kind of fighting it like the listing broker and I, who were now very good friends because of it. But uh, he, we wound up getting him approved by going back and offering money in escrow. So it was mm. interesting. <laughs>
2: You know, all these things are, you know, uh, are, seem simple, and you know we do this every day. So you know when we advise our clients, we're usually right on board with what we're saying. However, it really always comes down to communications and and effectively communicating with your buyers and your sellers because when you don't, shit happens, quite frankly. Yeah. and it always does, and it's always going to. And, yeah, and you've got to stay focused. you've got to stay on the mark, and you've got to make sure the commun- that line of communications with everybody in the deal, uh, happens. All right, so moving on, say goodbye to one of Brooklyn's most iconic signs. The real deal reports that the watchtower sign that sits atop the Jehovah's Witness former headquarters may soon be gone. The witnesses file permits to take down the sign with the Department of Buildings last month, which was approved earlier this month. It was just about a year ago that developer Columbia Heights Association purchased the watchtower. Uh, tower building located at 2530 Columbia Heights in Brooklyn Heights. The sale closed for $340 million and is one of the many real estate deals that the Jehovah's Witnesses have been making in Brooklyn as that organization prepares to move upstate New York permanently. The developers, meanwhile, have big plans for the site. It'll eventually be home to a huge mixed-use development called Panorama with 635,000 square feet of office space. An additional 35,000 square feet of retail and public facing outdoor space. So, my question is why the controversy over removing a sign? Are these landmarks or are these just historical, traditional? You know, you so I mean, the Watchtower sign is great. I I, I grew up watching it, I've lived in New York City for many years, looking at it. I mean, what is it about this that makes people crazy?
5: I mean, I wouldn't be so attached to the Watchtower sign. I mean, like, I think like the Pepsi sign in Queens or like the Domino Sugar Factory or something should be preserved. But there you go. You know, it's a religious organization. I don't know if you know. It's I don't know. It's not even. It's not that. It's not that appealing as a sign. It's a very boring font. Actually, yeah. I'm like
6: I pass by it and I'm like I, it kind. Of, it makes you kind of think. Um, I think what they're doing over there in that development <laughs> is going to be great. Think, or, like Watchtower, Jehovah's Witness. I don't know. It's because
2: I think it could be a good thing. I mean, I think a lot of people don't think, but but I but I agree
5: with what you're saying. I I'll mean, take a panorama sign. I think that sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, there you right. Go.
2: But the Pepsi sign is more iconic, I think. And I think yeah. you know some of these sign, but 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 that all applies too. If some someday someone wants to take down the Pepsi
3: sign, I mean, I think that's if that's something not, I would complain that's about. That's controversial. But if right? it's not that's a registered they, landmark, I, I think they could take it down, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah I, I
5: mean, there's no. Uh, but if this is New York, you know. Someone's <laughs>
6: going to get someone's going to come. Someone's to always somebody. upset about something. Right.
2: They, they can take it down if it's not a landmark. But I, I'm wondering, are some of these signs landmark? I mean, obviously the Watchtower one, right, was controversial, but I don't
5: think it was landmark. Would, would they make like a logo, a company logo, uh, a landmark? Maybe. I don't know, but Yeah, I, for sure. No, definitely. The Domino yeah. Sugar Factory sign was the Pepsi sign is. Were they
3: actually land oh the landmark? No, sure. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. There you go. There you so think you can't take them down then without without a big problem.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there. We're live from Blast uh Blastar Productions. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away.
1: The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
7: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Phenomenon. <laughs> do, do. All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk. Gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast.
1: All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show.
2: All right, everybody, we're back. So, finding a good broker in New York City is a lot like online dating. As I said at the top of the show, you peruse online profiles, pick the most attractive listings and make plans to meet up. Nervously, you wait outside the building hoping the broker shows up and perhaps you can recognize them from their photos. You suffer through a lot of bad meetups until one day when you least expect if you find the perfect one who will show you what you've been searching for all along, it could be successful. As with any successful relationship, a healthy broker, renter, or sell relationship depends largely on one thing. And I just mentioned this at the end of the last segment. Communications. Okay, Communications. It requires both parties to be upfront, honest and responsive to one another since brokers are multitaskers who work with numerous clients each day or each week. They are more inclined to put effort into clients who are serious and committed to the process. Similarly, you're much more likely to find your dream apartment if you can clearly communicate your needs and expectations to the broker. So it's a two-way street, right? How many times do we meet up with with clients, whether they're sales clients or rental clients? And it's kinda of like talking to a brick wall. Yeah, I'm looking, but I don't really know and I'm not quite sure and
5: well, I, don't, I don't want to get a pre approval. Swipe left.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I just had that. Um, I'm I'm waiting for proof of funds. All cash offer on an apartment, million fifty. Okay, great. Proof of funds. Just, and I'm working with a broker. Where's the proof of funds? Four days later, where is the proof? I can't accept it's, an offer. It's, is there
3: a broker? Did you see uh, the broker? Is the broker getting the funnel? The
2: broker is working her client to get me proof of oh, funds. No. How
5: long does it take to get a bank
3: statement? I mean, <clears throat> I
5: think, you know, kind of, well, now I'm thinking about dating, but I mean, for a real estate broker earlier in your career when your time is pretty limited, um, you know, getting, becoming an expert in vetting <clears> a buyer <throat> or a renter I think is is paramount to your success. If you're running around with You know, a tourist, uh, someone who's just trying to check out apartments with you or wants to hang out with you, um, it can be really, really bad for your business and your wallet.
3: You know, just to take another side of that, although I don't disagree 100%. Or agree 100%. But I will say that uh, in the in the beginning of my business, I would take everyone out and I would show them a thousand apartments. For sure. But even show them a thousand apartments because I looked at it like, well, wait, if I'm showing a thousand apartments, I'm learning that inventory. Mm-hmm. And then right. then I'll have when someone else calls me, I'll be like, I know a place for you, you know. And so I almost looked at it like everything wasn't a waste of time, no matter what I did, because it just helped me learn more about the inventory and the apartments.
5: You know? No, absolutely. I'm just talking about like if you're running out of money and oh, you yeah. know you can <laughs> make yeah. a deal. You know, you can't. I mean, obviously, you take a positive out of everything you do but um you know when your time is limited when you're younger when you're first in the business i think it's really important to get a pre-approval or to establish a proof of funds you know before you really start you know uh
6: chauffeuring people around the city i think you need to know what the buyer's urgency is are are they looking like where are they at with their situation uh is it a 1031 do they need to buy the sell um I think that's really important when you're working with them is just being on the same page. One of the things that that I really that really I think that hurts me the most is when I want to deal more than my buyer. And it's like I'm pushing them. I'm like, you need to come up with this. You know, that's a lot of the time when you know they just they don't have the urgency.
2: But where is that fine line, Ryan? Too, because I think sometimes I tend to fall into that as well. I'm I'm pushing them to make a decision because I'm really putting my all into getting this deal for them and then when you sometimes feel that little resistance and they're not reacting to your gentle pushing to come up to where they need to. I think what, you need wh- to make them is-
6: feel comfortable. Like they have to feel comfortable with the deal. You can't push them into the deal. This isn't your money. This is their money. This is probably one of the biggest investments that they're making and sometimes they can be a little nervous. So yeah, there is that, that push that you have to do, but really it's not a push. It's advice. You know, you're the advisor. You're the middleman here trying to make the deal happen, and at the end of the day, it's their decision, and all you can do is advise. Uh, You know,
5: know, over the past three years when bidding wars and, you know, a lot of competition from buyers uh, began, I kind of found that, um, especially with a new buyer you just take out, um, you you let them miss that first opportunity, and then they sort of have the sense of urgency, and they understand that the market's active, and they will miss out if they don't step up or, you know, pay up. You know, we're not... You know, maybe not today, but I mean, in the past couple of years, I mean, you really can't expect a discount yeah. on most properties.
3: I just wanted to highlight something Ryan said, which is that you should see yourself as an advisor, because people think you're. Oh, I'm a salesperson. I'm a sales guy. If you think you're a sales guy, you're in the wrong business. You're not a salesperson. You should think of yourself as more of an advisor or a consultant. And if you have that mindset, it sort of changes everything. You're not now so set on getting the deal done. Your focus is now on the client. You're advising them, making sure they make the best decision. I will say I made a mistake early in my career where maybe I wouldn't have pushed someone enough. And they lost the deal because of it. And they would say, why didn't you tell me? I didn't know. And then it made me feel so bad. That made me feel the worst. And so then I started doing something where as long as i let them know the expectations i like, go oh, look i just want to know i'm not pressuring you at all but it seems like this might go pretty quickly so i just want to let you know i just don't want you to come back to me later and say i wish i would have bid more and then once i say that i at least i know i could rest easy i know i've done my job and then yeah no i
5: i completely agree i think you know you're not pushing to make a deal for yourself i think you got to know in your heart when it's best for your client to make a deal and if you know that <clears throat> the stars have aligned on this property and maybe they're hemming and hawing you really need to feel that you have to give them that push. I mean, I'm not a pushy broker by any, you know, stretch of imagination with buyers, but um, um, if if I know they're not going to see this again, or I know we're going to be looking for another six months, and they're going to have to extend their lease and lose more money, I'll, I'll put. I'll, yeah, you know, have they want to hear their,
3: that. You're an expert, so they yeah. do need to hear from you at the right time. Look, I think this is right for you. You may lose it, and if that's how you really feel, and you think it's going to help them, and, yeah, and if you, if you're not your if time. you're not,
5: if you're not pushy in general, and then one, right. once they see you pushing and they see your sense of urgency, they'll actually you know find it more believable right. and so. tell
3: them when it's not the right property. For and tell sure. them walk away. Sure. You know, you have to gain their trust. To be completely honest, if you are, that's
2: right. If you are upfront with them and you have established that that great communication and that great um, connection with your buyer, in particular, you know, then they're going to listen to you. When be they will come to you and ask you what about this or what about that or what is your opinion on something. And you, as a consultant or advisor, you give it to them. And uh, they understand it and more likely to uh, accept it. One of the other things I wanted to highlight is set the budget expectations clearly up front. You know, Mr. Buyer, how much are you looking to spend? You know, what would you like to spend? And really, what is your limit? Because, you know, in this city, the, the, the budget ranges are all over the place and the price ranges are all over the place. So we've got to make sure we are not wasting our time. Or their time by showing them stuff that they're not going to buy because it's too expensive or it's too small and it just doesn't work for them. What are the right Some, sometimes? I numbers? like to
5: just show like a little range. I'll yeah. let them know. I'm like, listen, you're not going to buy this apartment. I just want you to understand the market. I want you to be a market expert. Right. So when you see, you know this is above, this is below. But when you see the right one, you're going to recognize it. I don't have to tell you.
6: Right. The problem is in New York City, everyone wants what they can't afford. Always. So I think it's also our job. Um, well, so that's I, why you 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 show a bunch of little things up front first time, and then
2: reality hits it hits in and says, "All right, well, I want this, but I can't afford that, so I need to look over here."
6: I think one of my favorite things uh, as a broker is to go out and actually see property with my customers, um, and and it, that's the best way to really understand what they want, what their needs 100%. are. Like I'm always. Like, what do they look at first? Are they looking at the view? Are they looking at the the finishes? You know, you get a real feel for them. And I think that's really important. Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing is to communicate your priorities, your priorities with your buyers and sellers. Speak up if you're unhappy and please encourage your buyer or your seller, whoever you're working with, to also speak up. Because if there is something that isn't working a deal probably isn't going to happen. You've got to be all on the same page. Be an adult and be responsive. You've got to be responsive. How many of these brokers say, oh, I'll get back to them later? Uh, you know what? What is that about? You get back to them as quickly as you need to because you know buyers and sellers have lots of places they can go to engage if other, a, other a agents.
3: If a buyer or seller, this is my, the way I view it, and I tell people that work with me and for me, I say, if a buyer or seller or a renter ever has to say, hey, what's the update on this? Like what's going on? Mm-hmm. Then you failed. Like, You should never have someone. You should be leading them. You should be providing so many updates that they never have to even think, I wonder what's going on with the deal. And the moment they say that, you know that there was probably 24 to 48 hours before that where they were saying to their husband or wife or boyfriend, why isn't this broker getting back to me? What's going on? And it's only at the point they finally say, what's the update? You've already you've already lost some credibility, a little bit of credibility, and so it's so important to just always be. If you hear that email, if you get that email, hey, what's the update on this? You you've lost. Like you should never get that email. How many times a day or in a week should you talk to your sellers? I think it depends on what's going on. I, mean, uh, I do
5: a weekly update. I do a Friday afternoon traffic report, and I also report um, open house traffic and feedback. on Is Mondays. this in an email or is this in a phone call or how yeah. is it done? It depends how they want to be communicated with, but I always do it over email. So I'll send them a web traffic right. graphic. I'll send them a list of all the brokers and buyers um, who came, plus like a feedback and like a spreadsheet. And how about buyers? How often do you talk to buyers? You're
2: working with a buyer for you know a couple it, of weeks. It's funny
3: because a buyer so it depends. Like if there's something going on, you may talk to them 20 times a day, you know, if there's like a deal going on, Um, at least every few days. I mean, it all depends on what expectation you set in the last email. Like if I say, I'm going to be sending you stuff over the next two days, then they're waited, they go, great, no problem. Okay, they may not hear from me for two days, but they better hear from me on that second day. I'm not, I'm not gonna send something on the third day if I promise two days.
2: I'm a little usually a little more concerned with the buyer population out there because as we've said at the top of this show, there is street easy and everybody can go out and do their own searches and we can all get in trouble when that happens anyway. We are out of time. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Garson, for being with us today. Come back again. Thank like you. to have you back again. Pleasure. We will be back next week. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody.